All right. Well, good morning. And uh, there's some great things happening with our, our kids this summer and our students, but also, as you heard this morning, with our adults. And I'm very excited to let you know here this morning, sneak peek here, that uh, starting June 12th, we are starting an eight-week series on relationships. That's right, on relationships. How many of you know this is going to be really practical? It's where we live. All kinds of relationships, Okay. It's not an eight-week series on marriage or an eight-week series on singleness or parenting, but we're going to weave through this what Jesus has to say about relationships. Uh, Before Jesus left the earth, he told his disciples this. He said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So we're going to unpack that this summer over eight weeks, and you'll hear more about it next week. So how many of you know God doesn't take a vacation, a summer vacation, right? All right, let's not take a, a summer, a spiritual summer vacation. Let's stay fully engaged. I'm really excited about our small groups this summer and how they're going to unpack this, this and apply this message on relationships. It's going to be fun. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 23 this morning. Acts chapter 23. Back on Mother's Day, Carrie preached a, an amazing message about resilience. Resilience. And she defined resilience as the ability to bend without breaking and return back to its original shape or condition. Resilience. Today, I feel led of the Spirit to talk to you about, about courage. Courage. What is courage? Courage is the ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. I want to dedicate this message to our graduating seniors today. Our oldest son, Levi, graduated from Westside High School just last weekend, and he received several cards with this scripture verse in it, and I thought, wow, how appropriate to share today. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Let me just touch on that before we jump to Acts 23. Joshua 1, 9 says this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Now that's an appropriate verse for graduating high school and college students. God says, I will be with you wherever you go. So we're talking about courage this morning. I want you to think back over your lifetime when you faced a fear and you overcame that fear, you became courageous. Think of a time you became courageous and you overcame something that was difficult or dangerous. I remember as a, as a little kid, I would go to the, the public swimming pool and they had this really high, high diving board. And I dreamed, Lord, someday I'll be able to jump off the high diving board. And one day I did, but it took a lot of courage. At the age of 21, I got married. How many of you know that took some courage? Let me remind you of the definition, the ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. How many of you, <laughs> for how many did it take courage to get married, especially at age 21, right? I graduated Bible college. That took courage. I ran a marathon. That took courage. I chased after a thief in Africa. Not very smart, but it took some courage for sure. 
I ran the, the foot trails in India where the cobras like to hide in the bushes. Not smart, but took some courage. I rode the, the ripcord at Worlds of Fun. The ripcord at Worlds of Fun. I mean, that took some courage. Probably the, the most courageous thing I have done in my life is at the age of 37, I became the lead pastor of Glad Tidings Church. That took some courage. A journey that has been difficult and dangerous. How many of you know when you say yes to Jesus, sometimes that means it's yes to difficult and dangerous. But you know what's more difficult and dangerous? When you don't say yes, Lord. When you don't do what God's called you to do. The Apostle Paul, he was much more courageous than I was. He faced some difficulties and some dangers that I probably will never, ever face in my life. And at one point, he had testified to the resurrection of Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. And as a result, he was arrested. And as he was in this place of arrest, God appeared to him at night. And it says in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, it says, The following night, the Lord stood near Paul. The Lord stood near Paul. Wouldn't you like the Lord just to stand near you this morning? I pray that as I've delivered this message that God is standing near me. And not only was God standing near to Paul that night, God said, said this to him. He said, take courage. Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Take courage. Can I tell you something this morning? Courage does not just fall upon you. Courage is something you have to reach out and take hold of. And when you take hold of courage, courage takes hold of you. Courage is not some gift God delivers on a platter. Courage is not this thing given to you. It's this thing you have to reach for. It's this thing you have to take. Take courage. Take this ability. Take this mindset to do something that's difficult or dangerous. And God knew that Paul would need courage because God was sending him to testify to Rome. Rome was the capital of the world. Rome ruled the world and Rome was the epicenter of the world at that time. And all roads led to Rome. Rome was it. But to get there, there was going to be this epic journey that Paul would have to go on. And on this journey, he was going to encounter what I call three epic challenges. Before he got to his room. And I want us to learn this morning from those epic challenges. Paul went from Jerusalem. Place of influence. To a greater place of influence. He went to Rome. And I have a word for the graduates this morning. And the word is this. Take courage graduates. Your influence is about to increase. You have testified in your Jerusalem. God is going to take you to your room. And to testify there. And after the Lord spoke these, these words to Paul, then we'll discover is that all hell began to break loose. And how many of you know when God speaks to you and you step out and begin to do it, sometimes instead of heaven breaking loose, it feels like all hell is breaking loose. And that's what happened to Paul. And there was a plot to kill his life. He hadn't even gotten on the journey yet. And they're trying to kill him. And there were 40 men who, who made an oath and they said, they said, we will not eat or drink anything until we assassinate this man named Paul. God protected him and he was brought before Felix to stand trial. 
And Felix decided instead of trying him, he thought he would do a favor to the Jews and he put, he put Paul back in prison for two years. Thanks a lot, Felix. Now he's in prison for two years. Two years later, he is brought to stand trial before Festus and King Agrippa. And Festus and King Agrippa, to summarize the story, they say, you know what? We're not going to make this decision about you and who you are and what kind of justice needs to be done. We're going to send you back to Jerusalem. You need to stand before the Jewish people. Let them rule. And, and Paul said, no, nope, I'm not going back to Jerusalem. God said I'm supposed to go to Rome. So he appealed to Caesar that day. And they said, you have appealed to Caesar and to Caesar you will go. And they put him on a ship towards Rome. And it was a big ship and it was a ship that was so large that there were 276 other people on this ship. And it may have been a prison ship of sorts because we later find out that Paul was not the only prisoner on this ship. There were other prisoners as well. So the first epic, the first epic challenge that he encounters is this incredible storm. Luke is with him at the time of this storm. Luke, this is the disciple, the physician, is actually riding on this vessel with Paul. And he writes down, he records the events in Acts chapter 27. Jump with me there. Acts 27 and verse 13. And here's the storm. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and they sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. And the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and we were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and they let the ship be driven along. Verse 18, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor star appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Let's stop there. This is no ordinary storm. This is not a hailstorm coming through Omaha where you want to make sure your car is parked in the garage. This is an epic storm. This is a life-threatening situation. And I want to see this morning if maybe you can identify with this storm that Paul was in. The Bible says that they were driven along. They were driven along by this storm. In other words, they couldn't direct it. They couldn't control anything. Some of you are here this morning and you are in the middle of a storm and you are feeling driven along. You are feeling out of control this morning and you are doing your best to maintain control. You're lowering these ropes under your ship and you're trying to tie things and you're trying to hold things together as best as you can. You're doing your very best, but you realize that even your best isn't good enough. And, and pretty soon you're taking the very things you used to depend on to fix things and to provide for you. Now you're taking them and you're throwing them overboard. And the things you used to depend on and used to rely on to get you out of a fix, now you're throwing out. 
You can't even depend on those things anymore. They're dead weight to you. They're actually causing you to sink faster. This is what's going on here. They could not see the sun nor the stars for several days, the Bible says. And that's significant because back in that time, the the way they would do maritime travel, the way they would navigate is by looking at the sun and the stars. So in other words, for days, they, they had no idea where they were at and they had no idea where they were going. They were lost in this storm. And the Bible says they were so lost that they gave up all hope of being safe. And I can't hardly believe this morning that there's not somebody here this morning where where you're in this kind of storm. you're, You're lost in the storm. You have no idea where you're at. You have no idea where you're going. You've tried to hold this thing together. You're just being driven along by this storm. And you you don't know that you'll come out of this thing alive. You honestly don't know if you're going to make it. And here's what we can learn about this storm this morning. You need to hear this this morning. The storm will come. If you're not in one, you're getting ready to go in one. If you're in one, you're in the middle. If you're in the middle, you get ready to come out. But the storm will come. But the storm doesn't have to overcome. It doesn't have to overcome you. Jesus was in a much smaller vessel. It was a fishing vessel on the Sea of of Galilee with his disciples and they were getting ready to cross over. And the Bible says that a big storm came upon the Sea of Galilee and it was it was so strong that that the, the waves were crashing into the boat and the boat was about to capsize. And the crazy part of this story is that that Jesus was sleeping in the boat. He was in the stern of the boat. He was sleeping. And I'm thinking, man, he was either really, really tired uh, or he knew something that these other disciples didn't know. <laughs> and, and the storm is raging and, and the disciples are freaking out and they're panicking and they wake up. Jesus, don't you care if we're going to drown? Jesus stands up and he wipes the sleep out of his eyes and he looks around. And he rebukes him. He says, you have little faith. And then he says to the storm, peace, be still. Peace, be still. And you know what that tells me this morning is that just because Jesus is in your boat doesn't mean the storms won't come. <laughs> it just means they won't overcome. And he told the disciples, why are you with such little faith? What, what did he mean by that? Did he mean you don't have enough faith to rebuke the storm or you don't have enough faith to rest in the storm? I've come to realize that I, in my opinion, I think it requires more faith to rest than to rebuke. We know that Jesus has the authority to calm your storm. But he also has the authority to calm your heart. You may say, God, deliver me from the storm. And he may say, you know what? I'm not going to deliver you from the storm. But I'm going to deliver you in the storm. I'm going to deliver a peace to you. That when you walk away from this thing, you're going to go, you know what? I know God better now than I've ever known him before. I've heard people say, I've gone through this storm. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I came to know God in such a way I would have never known him before. You may be in a storm this morning and you might be asking the question, you know, did God cause this storm or did God allow it to happen? Can I tell you this morning? Peace will not come because you get an answer to that question. Peace will come when you no longer ask the question. 
Peace will come when you no longer need that answer. Peace will come when you're content with just having Jesus in the boat. Jesus in the boat is enough. It's enough. What's interesting is Paul in this great big vessel with 276 men, he had the authority to rebuke the storm. But the Bible says he did not rebuke the storm that day. And I believe the reason why he didn't rebuke it is because of what Jesus told him in Acts chapter 23 and verse 11. He said, take courage. And he took that word, take courage. You're going to Rome. He took that word, take courage. You're going to Rome. He took that same word and he delivered that same word to these 276 other members on that ship that day. And he said this, and I want you to see it with me. And I'm going to read it here this morning. Acts 27, verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and he said, Men, you should have taken my advice. (laughs) I told you so. (laughs) Not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of, 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 the, of the God whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Watch this. Nevertheless, We must run aground on some island. Now, this leads us to the second epic challenge for which Paul needed courage. And that second epic challenge is the shipwreck. Let's read about this. Acts chapter 27, verse 39. When daylight came, they did not recognize land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea. And at the same time, they untied the ropes that held the rudders. And they hoisted the foresail to the wind and they made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and it ran aground. And the, and the, bow, of the, and the bow struck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Saul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. And he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Here's what you need to know about the shipwreck this morning. Although your ship may wreck, it doesn't have to wreck you. It doesn't have to wreck you. Your hopes for a scholarship may have been wrecked. But it doesn't have to wreck and ruin the rest of your life. Your partnership, your financial partnerships, your business partnerships, they may have wrecked, but it doesn't have to wreck you. Your relationships <laughs> may have been wrecked, but doesn't mean it has to wreck your life. Some of you are like, man, I know all about relationship wrecks. I know about these kind of shipwrecks. I've been through a number of them. This is Paul's third shipwreck. This is his third shipwreck. 
Not one of them wrecked Paul. Not one of them wrecked him. You may be in your second, your third marriage, or you may be single again and not married. Listen, you don't have to be a wreck this morning because you had a shipwreck. That shipwreck does not define who you are. That broken relationship doesn't mean you're broken or have to remain there. God has plans for your life. God can restore. God can heal. Your shipwreck doesn't have to wreck you. You still have your life. You still have your God. And you still have your testimony. The third epic challenge that Paul encountered is the snake. Acts chapter 28, verse number 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. And they built a fire and they welcomed us because it was raining and cold. And Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. Verse 5, but Paul shook the snake off into the fire, and he suffered no ill effects. And the people expected him to swell up suddenly and fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and they said he was a god. People are so fickle, aren't they? Here's what you need to know about the snake this morning. The snake may bite you, but it doesn't have to kill you. Mark chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus said, These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. Listen, when the snake bites, it doesn't have to kill you. We don't go looking for snakes. But snakes will come looking for you. And as we look at the Bible, we know that snakes or serpents represent Satan or, or demons or evil spirits. And you need to know this morning that snakes, those evil spirits and temptations, they will come out of nowhere sometimes. You're just minding your own business, just collecting some firewood. <laughs> and this snake jumps out and attaches itself to you. What are you going to do in that moment? You know, snakes don't often look like snakes. Sometimes they are disguised as something else. Carrie's best friend lives in, in St. Louis, Missouri, and um, their home is about 40 minutes outside of the city, and they live up in the, in the, in the hills and in the wilderness out there, and, and they have three children. They're grown now, but when they were small, one of, the, one of them, I think it was Matthew, he was out in the backyard playing and he saw something and he began to reach for something that looked like the head of a, or it looked like a toad or a frog. And he began to reach for it. And as he reached for that toad, that, that toad reached out and bit him. It turns out that toad was the head of a copperhead snake. And immediately his hand began to swell and he's being screaming and mom calls 911 and they said, you got to kill the snake. 
We got to know what kind of snake it was. So dad did what dads do. And he got the shovel out of the garage. Come on, dads. This is when it gets good. And he went out there and he chopped the head off that snake. And they threw the snake in the back of the minivan. And the boy in the back of the minivan too. And off to the hospital they go. Mom's driving 90 miles an hour down the interstate. Ambulance is coming from the other direction. Right? We got to get the anti-venom in this boy or he's going to lose his hand. And while she's driving down the interstate, what what does Carrie's best friend do? She calls her best friend. She called Carrie. I got a story to tell you. In the background, you hear this. Ah! This kid screaming in the back seat of the van. Carrie says, well, let me call a doctor. We can get a three-way conversation. So they called Dr. Ola Awadeli from Glad Tidings. So here we got this, this four-way communication going on with God, with Carrie, with Catherine, and, and Dr. Ola. And here we're trying to figure out what, how we're going to save this boy's hand. Long story short, God intervened, and, and uh, the boy, he did not lose his hand. He did not lose his life. He's healthy today. He suffered no ill effects. Now, snakes. Snakes don't always look like snakes. He was reaching for something, and this this snake was camouflaged, disguised in these leaves, and he he just saw the head. He just it looked like a frog or a toad. See how many of you know that the enemy is the master at deception? He is a liar. He's a father of lies. He's a wolf disguised in sheep's clothing. This is the enemy. This is the snake we're dealing with. And listen to me this morning. He can take something that is bad and he can make it look good. He can make lust. Listen, man, he can make lust look and feel like love. He can make greed look like wisdom. He can make bitterness Look like justice. He's the master at deception. And you have but a moment to discern that it's a snake. You have a moment to decide if you're going to play with it or if you're going to shake it off. I think sometimes in Christianity, what we do is we we treat snakes more like pets than like poison. And then when we get bit, we treat ourselves like like helpless victims. Ah, what happened? I don't know what happened. I was just trying to see how close I could get to this snake and it bit me. I'm a victim, right? Listen, don't play games with the devil. Don't play games with temptation. Don't see how close you can get to the fire before you get burned. Don't see how close you can get to that evil spirit before he reaches out and takes hold of you. At some point you have to recognize this is a snake. And you have to shake it off. You have to shake it off. You have to get angry with it. You don't go, you know what? You'd make a nice little pet. You know, Uh, just this last week I saw on the news, this guy got bit by a cobra. Turns out it was his pet cobra. Who makes pets? A cobra's pets. Right? So we got these little temptations. It's just a little deal. It's just a little snake. It's not a big deal. Listen. You got, I got good news for you this morning. You have the authority in Jesus' name to shake that thing off. You have authority in Jesus' name. When that lustful temptation comes, you can play with that thing if you want. I don't recommend it because you could lose a limb. You could lose a life. 
You got to recognize it for what it is and say, that's a snake. You got to shake that thing off in Jesus name. You got to shake that mindset off. Say, you know what? That's not who I am. When the enemy whispers and says, you're a loser. He says, give up, take your own life. Who cares? Just sin. Just let, let's just sin like crazy. So grace may abound. You say, shut up, devil. You shake him off. You shape, you shake off that temptation. You shake off that evil spirit. Listen, you don't let that thing control you. You don't let that thing tell you what to do. You tell that thing what to do. You do what Paul did that day and you just shake it off in the fire. You get back to serving Jesus. Wasn't a big deal to him. He just, I remember reading about one, one preacher who lived many, many years ago. I don't remember his name, but in the middle of the night, he woke up and he sat up and he saw a manifestation of the devil in his bedroom. And he said, oh, it's you again. And he went back to bed and he rolled over. Don't give the devil any more attention than he needs. Don't play with that snake. Don't get fascinated with that snake. Oh, it's you again. Shake that thing off and keep on moving in Jesus' name. You have authority in Jesus' name. Matthew 16 says so. So finally, here's what you need to remember when it comes to the storm. When the storm comes and the ship wrecks and the snake bites, you need to know this this morning. Listen clearly. You have to know this is not about me. This is not about me. This is about the mission. This is not about the test. This is about my testimony. Acts 23, 11. Jesus stood near Paul and he said, take courage. Why? Because you've testified about me in Jerusalem and you're going to testify me about me in Rome. The reason we take courage when we're going through the storm or the shipwreck or the snake bite, the reason we take courage is because God has given us a testimony. He's given us a message that somebody needs to hear. The reason Paul could take courage that day is because he found a reason bigger than himself to take courage. You need to find a reason bigger than you. He didn't take courage because he knew one day he'd feel better. He took courage because he knew that after the mess, he'd have a message to deliver. Your life is a message. You've got to deliver that message. It's going to take some courage. You may not feel any different after the storm or the shipwreck or the snake bite. You see, the reason that you fight for your marriage, (laughs) let's get practical. The reason you fight for your marriage is not for you. It's for somebody else. The reason you take courage and you face the difficulties in your marriage, the reason you take courage is not for you. It, It could be for your children. It could be for those other members in your small group that are also having difficulty. It could be for the testimony of Jesus in a culture that has stopped fighting for marriage. See, the reason Paul could take courage is he found a reason bigger than himself. Come on, get over yourself. Get over this thing being about me. Oh, it's the storm and it's all about me. It's the shipwreck and look what I've lost. And I got bit by a snake and woe is me. Get over me. 
Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. God put you on this earth not to make you comfortable. He put you on this earth because you have a mission on this earth. And you've shared that mission. You've shared it in your Jerusalem. And God is saying, you've got to share it in your room. Take courage. It's not going to fall on you. You've got to reach out and grab a hold of it. And the only way you can take courage is to find a reason bigger than yourself to live. Look at the people around you who are watching your life. I told the membership class here just a few moments ago. When you become a member of Glad Tidings, you're wearing a t-shirt now. And on the front of the t-shirt, it says Jesus. On the back of the t-shirt, it says Glad Tidings. <laughs> People are watching your life. They're watching you when you're in that storm. Your kids are watching you. Your family, your wife's watching. Everybody's watching you. They're watching how you're going to handle the shipwreck, how you're going to handle the snake. You're going to play with that thing. You're going to turn it into a pet or you're going to treat it like the poison it is. People are watching you. The reason you take courage is for a reason bigger than yourself. Don't make it about you. God will take care of you. He took care of Paul, didn't he? (laughs) And testify he did. In Acts 28, verse 30, the Bible says for two whole years, Paul stayed there. This is in Rome now. In his own rented house. He was in house arrest and he welcomed all who came to him and he proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's how the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome sharing his testimony. He was testifying. That's how it ends. And that's where we pick up the story of your life this morning. What is your room? Where and who does God have you placed right now where you are sharing your message, your testimony? Some of you are you're going you're going into a storm right now. Or maybe you're right in the middle of it and and life is out of control for you. You're lost in the storm. Some of you, the the storm has ended in a shipwreck. You realize this morning, you know what? My ship has wrecked, but it doesn't have to wreck me. I feel like I'm the wreck. But let's make it about the ship, right? You've lost some things, but you still have your life. You still have God. You still have your testimony. Some of you this morning, you realize that that thing you've been playing with is actually a snake. And your attitude towards that snake needs to change. And you need to take the authority that you have in Jesus Christ this morning and you need to shake that thing off. You need to shake that thing off. And let me tell you, if it has, if it has bitten you, you don't have to suffer any ill effects today in Jesus' name. You may say, you know what? That thing not only wrapped itself around me, it bit me and it kept biting me and I never shook it off. Listen. Thank God, God is a merciful God. Thank God, He is merciful. Thank God that that thing that's been biting you and hanging on you for all these years doesn't have to end your life. 
Today you can shake that thing off and you can get back to what God has called you to do. And on to your room to share the message, to share your life with other people. If you're going through a storm this morning, I want you to stand to your feet right now. If you've experienced a shipwreck, I want you to stand to your feet right now. If you realize there are snakes in your life, you may not have recognized them as such, but you realize there are evil spirits, there are temptations, there are snakes in your life. Today, I'm shaking those things off. And I am going to take courage. Today, you realize you need courage. And the way you're going to find it is to find a reason bigger than you. It's about your testimony. Father, thank you this morning. Lord, I pray that, um, that you would do right now what you did for Paul. That you would stand close. Holy Spirit, right now, stand close to those who are standing. Speak those words. Take courage. You have testified for me before you will testify again. God, may we have the attitude like Paul who would gladly expend his life for the kingdom. Would gladly lay down his pleasures and his joys for the kingdom. God, for those standing, you have a message for them to carry to their Rome. And come hell or high water, we're going there. We're going there, God. If only we have as our life and our God and our testimony, that's it. We're going, God. We may have lost possessions. We may have lost homes or jobs. But God, we have now lost our lives. And for that, we are grateful. God, I pray that you would use us as a living testimony. Use us, God. Send us to Rome. Send us, Lord God. And send us with courage, we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everybody stand to your feet this morning. Everybody. And let's sing this song. Let's sing it with with our hearts this morning. Let's mean it. Let's sing it with our lips. Let's sing it from our hearts. Let's make this song our prayer today.